0: Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Tins, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Madison on the Air.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Well,
2: mostly true.
1: The names have been changed to protect the innocent.
2: You think anyone ever listens and are like, dude, that's totally Carl from work. Come on, there's still some copyright laws we aren't breaking.
1: You're a detective sergeant.
0: Part satire, part social commentary, part homage. Madison on the Air, created by Chrissy Talon Sage, brings classic radio plays back to life with an unusual premise. Modern-day Madison is zapped into old-time radio dramas. No technology, no Starbucks, and no one is PC. Will she survive? Listeners follow along as she teams up with radio icons like Sergeant Joe Friday, Marshal Matt Dillon, Superman, and more. Their original radio scripts adapted to give a funny look at the way things were and the way things are today. The first episode of Madison on the Air, Dragnet, The Big Trunk, Pairs Madison with Sergeant Joe Friday as they must track down a missing woman. I spoke with Chrissy via Discord. Tell us a little bit about yourself as a creative person.
2: Well, I have been in and around uh, Hollywood now for a couple decades, and I have been uh, on a lot of different paths that never really went anywhere. But a lot of my study came in. I've done improv since I was 14. Yes. I have. Sorry, I should say I should
0: say yes and. Um,
2: yeah, exactly. Don't start. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I've uh, been studying uh, sitcom writing. I wrote my first spec script when I was in high school. So it's definitely been something that I've been pursuing for a long, long time.
0: Well, what led you to your podcast?
2: Well, one of my early projects, and I'm going to definitely age myself on this one, I did a web series before YouTube existed. Wow. It was actually hosted on MySpace, Uh and I got some good traction on it, won a few film festivals. It actually got me into grad school, that particular project. And then it got overtaken by Hollywood money, and my little cheap web series was not professional enough. And so, you know, I've, I've done a lot of writing where I've got a lot of scripts that are sitting on my computer that will never be seen by another human being. And I got really tired of writing for myself. So I went back into producing theater uh, locally, like the Hollywood Fringe Festival I did for a few years, because I liked having an audience for what I was doing, even if it was a small audience. I am one of the, you know, babies born through COVID with my podcast. You know, it was the the lockdown and we're at home and I'm getting all sorts of like self-tape opportunities with casting directors because they were bored and didn't have any projects and were willing to look at people's uh, self-tapes that they normally wouldn't. And it was occurring to me how much can be accomplished uh, alone at home. And I had been producing theater, actually, right before the lockdown. The show that I was helping produce literally was shut down the week it was supposed to open because of COVID. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of work for nothing. So I was thinking, well, all of my other actor friends who are home alone are also looking for creative outlets, have been doing their little videos on Insta or TikTok or whatever. But, yeah, let's look into this. Now, old-time radio or I will abbreviate OTR for those of us who are totally cool. That's what we say. I've been a huge fan of the genre for several decades. When I say I listen to one every day, I literally listen to a show every day because that's how I go to sleep at night. Oh, right. Sure. You know, before all the, you know, the little girls were listening to their true crime podcasts (laughs) to go to sleep or whatever, I was listening to noir and detectives. And that's how I fell asleep. So I'm very familiar with a lot of shows, and it was just kind of like the perfect hybrid. Like, okay, we're looking for something to do. Then there came Madison. She is a character that I probably have been doing in improv for a couple decades, like my go-to ditzy girl. So it was kind of like this perfect combination of everything that I I love to do.
0: Why do you like old-time radio? What kept you coming back to it, even from a young age?
2: I I like that you think that 20 years ago I was young. Um, No. (laughs) I love the era. Back when I actually started listening to OTR, I was a swing dancer. Oh cool. In that that wave of swing dance. So I was already really into the music and the clothing and the hair of that era and I came across OTR because CBS Radio, just the local radio station was playing like a 2-hour block every night, happened to be when I walked my dogs. Okay. So okay. I started, you know, that was my nightly routine for a while. I really just loved not only the genre but I feel like a lot of people, probably Gen X and younger, probably the baby boomers were the last ones to appreciate OTR in its real form. I think Gen X and younger, we've gotten the spoofs. We've gotten the the movies and everybody that's making fun of the genre. So a lot of younger people, I think, are under the impression that these shows are super cheesy. Mm -hmm. If you look at things like Lone Ranger, it's a kid's show. Of course, it's going to be a little more cheesy. Any kid's show today is cheesy to an adult. I look at OTR and I'm looking at your, you know, your Sam Spade and your Johnny Dollar and all of these noir detectives. This is what they had to do then. They didn't have television yet. They had movies, but there are only so much being made. So they created what is referred to a lot in OTR as theater of the mind. Mm-hmm. And these were amazing writers who would go on to win awards and like Emmy awards and Oscars and things. You have amazing actors who did do both radio and they did movies or later on television. So you have a great group of creative people and it's not a spoof. It's not cheesy. And I think people should appreciate that it it actually is very good entertainment even today.
0: This was audio drama before audio drama was on the internet or before it was on podcasts. Tell us a little bit about Madison on the Air in your own words.
2: Well, as I, I mentioned, I've been doing a Madison for years in improv. So it was very natural for me to gravitate to her voice. <laughs> and when I write, because I do comedy and the way my my style of writing is, I basically act out the scene as I'm writing it and all I play all the roles. And <laughs> it's really easy for me to voice her and know what she would say and how she would respond. The first episode, of course, you got to listen to was Dragnet, which is about one of my absolute favorites of the genre. My idea was, what does Madison, this modern day girl with modern day sensibilities. How does she react to that world and how it's being told out? So that really, in some of the early episodes, I would grab a script and I wouldn't even read it all the way through yet. I would just let Madison react as the scenes unfolded. I wouldn't even know how the episode was meant to end yet. Because I say that this is not a spoof, this is meant to be you know, a celebration of the genre. I have made sure all of my actors know you play those characters like you're in a drama. Mm -hmm. So that was the fun of it. It was to try to imagine this kind of fish out of water comic element from modern day living with these people who are everything is very real to them.
0: This seems to be more of an homage or a love letter to OTR than a straight spoof or so on. What is it that you're hoping your listeners will get out of listening to a Madison on the air in terms of what they'll think about these OTR episodes?
2: Well, I hope to make those stories more relatable mm-hmm. because their journey begins with a character that is something they are more familiar with. She doesn't let the non-PC comments of the time get away with being non-PC. Right. That is her main goal is to point that out. And it's well, there are definitely, of course, um, a lot of racist moments. And I'm pretty much staying away from those kinds of scripts. It's certainly her battle is the sexism, which especially in noir. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about that as I was listening to Dragnet. Madison was a character that, that, that she's your original creation. One of the questions I had was why Madison, right? And what is what is she doing here? Madison makes a really interesting foil for Sergeant Friday, Madison seems to be a bit of an exaggeration, but Mm. she also has a perception that Joe Friday doesn't. And I think that's an interesting approach. I mean, you're getting the jokes in there, but you're also underlining things about the original that maybe we would gloss over if we weren't paying too close attention.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And like you, you just said, she's is an exaggeration herself. So while I can point out, say, some of the things that Joe Friday said as not being currently acceptable, she goes to 11 sometimes with what she says on her end of maybe being a little too modern, a little too woke, if you will, kind of pointing out a little bit of the theatricality of that. That uh, we can't think we are right, and that era is totally wrong. There is a balance. There is like, okay, sit down, everybody. We all have things we could work on, you know? (laughs) You the police? You the nosy neighbor who called in the missing persons report? That's right. I'm Mrs. Harrison. Come on in. I got some coffee on if you'd like a cup while we talk. OMG, I could totally go for a mocha latte right about now. 1954 has a surprising lack of Starbucks.
1: No, thanks. We'd like to get started on this.
2: Ugh, Joe, you suck. They didn't find anything when they went into Judy's house, did they?
1: No, ma'am. Wonder if you could tell us what you know about her disappearance.
2: Last time I saw her was Friday the 6th, out in her yard. She was out hanging up clothes. Hanging up clothes? Was her dryer broken or something? We got to talking. You know... About neighborhood stuff. No, seriously. Like, she should call her landlord about that.
0: Right. She does seem shallow sometimes when you listen to some of the things she says. But at the same time, she gets this almost moral last word in the Dragnet episode, talking about how the murderer got, what, five years for murder? And and she says, that's messed up. And I think that's a really interesting way to, to balance social commentary with humor. What's your process? Let's talk about the scripts a little bit. I actually did pull up the original radio version of The Big Trunk. Mm. (laughs) So you start from the original scripts. How different are they? What is your process of taking one of these original scripts and converting it to a, a Madison episode?
2: Well, I look at it as we are under the umbrella of satire. Mm -hmm. I actually have worked in rights approvals in television, so I'm loosely aware of a lot of things that you can do while still being, um, you know, not sued. And I look at it like there is enough original content and enough things that are being changed that it is not me copying the original as much as I am making it my own from the original.
0: Right. The dialogue isn't word for word. The plot points are there and like yeah. some of the characters are the same, but you're sort of taking this original plot, but you're redoing it and then adding your own commentary to it.
2: Every episode is going to be a little different how far I deviate. But a lot of these shows, because of their age, are in public domain. Mm-hmm. So I do have that going for me um, when you go ahead and you're looking at, say, when I my third episode is Superman and If I were, say, oh, making money off of Madison, which I'm not currently, uh, that that might fall into a domain issue. And I might have to pull that episode. Ultimately, the the copyright joke we make in Dragnet is about the song, you know, the music. Exactly. Uh, Everyone knows that, you know, those chords. And so my husband is actually uh, a musician. And he is my audio engineer, so he smooths out all of the bumpy parts of the, of the show, and he creates all the music uh, original.
0: Why did you want to do Dragnet for your first episode? How many episodes out were you planning? And, and then within that plan, why Dragnet for your first?
2: I think Dragnet is a franchise that has reached into more recent decades. It's something that is uh, definitely still in the uh, in everyone's consciousness, even mm-hmm. if it's not active. So I thought it ha- would have a familiar name to it. But it is one of my favorites. I love Jack Webb. One of the things I admired about him starting Dragnet was he was coming from the era of very noir detectives. He played many of himself in other series. But he said when he created Dragnet, he wanted it to be so real, you could smell the coffee. Mm-hmm. Since I wanted to keep things very real on the drama side of it, I thought that would be the most believable. And the fact that, yeah, she complains about he the guy only got five years. That's a true story. All of the Dragnet episodes were taken from actual true files in, from the LAPD. So with that little bit of realism, I think was fun. And I, I think Joe Friday, I, just to have him being... Such a monotone-esque delivery, balanced against Madison's just theatrical voice all over the road, uh, I think was a nice balance.
1: Madison and I took the suspect to the interrogation room for questioning. He was fairly sober, but complained of a bad headache. Madison went down the hall and brought back some hot coffee.
2: Still no mocha lattes.
1: We told Lansing of Judy Nelson's death. Didn't seem to make much of a difference to him.
0: That's hot.
2: Don't piss me off. I'm the only one who doesn't think you're the primary suspect.
0: Primary suspect? For what? All right, Lansing,
1: you want to tell us why you did it? What'd I
0: do?
2: He thinks you killed Judy Nelson.
0: I'd like to help you out. Only one problem. I didn't do it.
1: Evidence doesn't point that way.
2: Well, the limited amount of circumstantial evidence could be Dave here, or stick with me... It could be the husband who we haven't even brought in yet for questioning. Yeah,
1: what she said. Look, we're supposed to be a united front on this.
2: Then maybe you should have just once listened to my opinion.
1: Maybe if you hadn't reached that opinion within two minutes of interviewing the neighbor, but instead formed your conclusion after an exhaustive search for actual evidence...
2: Actual evidence?
0: I agree that Friday is an excellent foil for Madison uh, and for each other. But I also like the fact that you have Friday break the fourth wall and you have Friday yeah. make self-referential comments, too. I love the I never said just the facts, ma'am. Google it. Right. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> um, and that's one and of those I, things
2: I think like, I want everyone to know. He never did say it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and that's, I didn't know either. I, I had just assumed, you know, and, and of you course, Googled it. <laughs> and I Googled it. And it's true.
2: Hey, Beatrice. Sup? What would you know about Dave. Honey, he's a bum. Totally got that. Major skis vibe. You think he could kill somebody?
1: Why don't we focus on the facts, rather than guesswork?
2: Oh, right. Just the facts, ma'am.
1: I've never actually said that.
2: Really? Google it. Wait, what'd you say?
0: Miss Fredericks,
1: how long have.
0: Is, is Dragon a fairly good indication of the rest of the episodes? Have things evolved and changed um, over time since you've been doing this?
2: Definitely evolved. I think in the first one, I was still in my mind trying to stay as connected to the original script as possible. Now I am taking a lot more freedom if I feel like the story could go a little bit better. Now, in the Dragnet, Madison steps into the real role of Friday's partner. So that was an actual character that was in there that Madison stepped into. But in Dragnet, That partner character is really just a sounding board for a couple times when Joe needs someone to talk to that it doesn't sound like he's talking to himself. Right. So it's not a strong character. Now I'm trying to pick scripts where Madison is really part of the plot like my Rocky Jordan. I'm really a fan of, of of my Rocky Jordan episode because I made her a character that was really pushing the plot the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to keep that kind of stuff in mind so she's not so much the, just the sidekick making wisecrack. Right. And as I'm developing more, I'm also really punching up my my joke telling now, mm-hmm. where I would let Joe and the scene on that dramatic line that was in the original. Now it's got to be Madison's got to make a joke. We got to go out on the joke. It's very sitcom. I'm, I'm trained in sitcom writing. We got a three jokes to a page, joke to get out of the tag. That's what we do.
0: I got a kind of Mystery Science Theater 3000 vibe.
2: Yes. And well, of course,
0: your opening theme is very much in the same vein, I think, as MST3K. Now Madison was working super hard on a makeup tutorial show she was teaching smoky eyes to folks out there
1: who really wanted to know when some freaky deaky science stuff only understood by nerds
0: zapped her into old radio shows the kind you might never have heard now she should probably Was that intentional? 100%. Yes,
2: yes, yes, yes. I was definitely, I was a theater geek in college when MST really hit the scene. And so it was a huge part of my development in in my early, late teens, early 20s. I love what they did. And here's a thing, is that originally, originally, I was trying to write an origin episode. How did Madison get into these old time radio shows? What is the explanation? And, you know, with time travel, it is such a messy, messy thing. It doesn't really exist, but yet we still have to somehow make it logical in our minds. I was getting bogged down with all of these specifics and it wasn't fun. That wasn't what I wanted the show to be. Right. And I didn't think it mattered.
0: I love that you don't explain it. The kind of story you're trying to tell doesn't need to have internal logic consistency. There, I think there are some stories where you have to be very careful about how you frame things. Found footage has to need to have some sort of logic for why the character is actually recording what's going on, right? Mm. Even if it's just sort of a token nod to why. But I think some stories are fine without having to worry about that and just enjoying what they are for what they are.
2: Yeah. And and I did have um uh, one of my actors early on. He was, you know, a screenwriter himself. So he's drilling me on all of why, why, why. And so that's why, you know, my husband actually wrote the theme song and we're like, let's just lay it out here. Like it is MST3K. You really just need to relax. Just relax. Enjoy the show. We're not ta- going to talk about it anymore.
0: <laughs> At the end of the episode, you give a little history lesson about Dragnet.
2: And I do do that for every episode.
0: Yeah. What's your motivation there?
2: That is to kind of give a little backstory for people to understand about that era and to make that era a little more tangible and you could connect to it a little better. I love when uh, Sherlock Holmes, I one of the things I focus on in that little uh, epilogue is the show was originally... Only written by a female writer. Mm. She was the only writer creating these shows. And she was complaining that the network wanted her to do more violence and she did not want to. So they fired her and brought in men. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting when we think about all the struggles and talks about modern day, like women and entertainment and stuff. Like, hey, these kind of struggles were real then
0: too. As a writer and as a performer, what do you struggle with?
2: Life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I've definitely personally right now, I struggle with my age, that Hollywood is not a fan of middle aged ladies who mm-hmm. have not already reached a position of power. Sure. A lot of avenues that other people might be able to use to get careers going are not available to me. And that, that's actually one of the fun things I like about Madison is I don't have to look like Madison. Oh, right. As long as I sound like Madison. Yes. And that's true of everybody. Everybody in the scripts, everybody doing these different roles, gets to step out of what they physically would be typecast as and expand their their vocal range and play with it. Like an improv, where you can, you can uh, be anything you want in improv and people accept it because it's improv. And you could be the old lady or you could be the young little girl or whatever.
0: Yes. Yes. People don't know that I'm actually three cats in a trench coat behind a microphone, so...
2: Now, I knew
0: that <laughs> I did, um, but you make a it good was the point. <laughs> well, it's theater of the mind, right? Right. You use your voice, and you use sound effects, and you use music to create a mood and paint an, an audio picture. If I can mix my metaphors, um, <laughs> and people fill in the stage with their own ideas, um, and so it becomes very real to them. I would almost argue that sometimes um, audio drama can be more imaginative and immersive than, say, regular theater or film, because it's populated mostly by the imagination of the listener.
2: Absolutely. And going back to me having a web series, one of my problems was, is I'm not skilled at the, like, the lighting and the sound Mm -hmm. um, when you're recording in a scene, and those things definitely hurt the quality. And I am doing this completely with my own budget. I am not paying anybody to do these extra things in the show. So it hurt when it was a visual medium. Right. And it looked it looked cheap. Right. But I'm able to do an audio medium and give it a really professional quality with a very minimal (laughs) access to budget and, and technology.
0: How do you measure success?
2: I think it's with new people finding me and and really relating and enjoying, because I know as far as audio dramas go, we are kind of the redheaded stepchild. We're very unusual in our type of format.
0: Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to interview you, because, <laughs> well, and, and I, I love science fiction and I love horror, right? But mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's a lot out there. And um, right. I'm, I'm happy to talk with people who do those genres, but sometimes it's important to understand that there's a lot of other things that are out there as well.
2: Early on, one of the great compliments I got was a girl who said she only listened to sci-fi and horror and she came across mine. She's like, you are the first comedy podcast I'm going to ever listen to. And that's really an honor. I really do just geek out over people who find my jokes funny and say that they laughed and they'll quote, quote, back to me. And that is the biggest thrill. That is success. Yeah. I'd like many, many more people to do that. (laughs)
0: But. <laughs> no doubt. As of this recording, it's October and your Dracula episode just released. Um, yes. How many episodes do you have out now?
2: Dracula is our 12th.
0: Do you have a season in mind?
2: Yeah, I chose not to do seasons because we are episodic. So, you know, that's the fun of it is you can check out all our different titles and you know Superman or, you know, Sherlock Holmes or The Shadow. Hey, go ahead. Listen to that one first. That's fine. You don't have to listen in any order. Yeah. What keeps you motivated? I have nothing else in my life. <laughs> Truly, um, I, I love it. I love it. I love doing this. This is absolutely everything I've been training to do with my life it's the improv, it's the comedy writing, it's the editing, it's even the social media marketing. I did that professionally when Facebook was new. I mean, I've done, done all these. It's like it's the perfect job for me. Now, someone pay me to do it, please.
0: What's next for you?
2: Well, I'm starting our arm already on our anniversary episode. Oh, wonderful. Which will be in February, which I'm going to be adding promo swaps. And I'm hoping to get some people who are interested in doing promo swaps for other audio dramas. And I would like to rewrite the audio um, promos in the style of old time radio commercials. That sounds fun. And I should mention, besides the 12 episodes, we have the Madison's Mad Facts, which are bonus features we do now for every episode. They're like five to seven minutes. I will take whatever kind of like jumps out to me when I'm working on the actual episode. I then do a little kind of mini interview with one of the actors from the show. And we talk about a subject relating to that episode. Like here for Dracula, we'll be talking about how Halloween was celebrated in the 1930s into the early
0: 1950s. You've got an e-newsletter?
2: Yes. And I do have original content in there. Not only will you get the preview of the next trailer for the upcoming episode well before anybody else, but we also have a blog called Madison's Musings. Only get it through the e-newsletter, which is free, of course. And it's kind of behind the scenes talking about creating uh, Madison, different aspects. There's a lot of just me, what I think uh, as I'm doing the process. And hopefully it's funny and entertaining. Sign up on our website, madisonontheair.com.
0: Since you say you've done marketing, this is actually one of the things that I'm struggling with personally is I'm not a marketing guy. I was reading somewhere, I can't remember where, maybe it was on Twitter. Someone said that if you want to have a big numbers podcast, you need to have a marketing person. That's Mm -hmm. really the way to get the numbers. Do you agree with that? I do
2: agree that someone needs to dedicate their time to it. Right. I do spend a heck of a lot of time building relationships on Twitter. The e-newsletter is based on ones that I used to build professionally. There is a value to that in, in creating original content to try to drive people there so that it isn't just you just talking about the same things you would talk about on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But I think by being personable on social media, being like, hey, I am a person. This isn't a machine. And I like you and you like me. And let's go check each other out. And that kind of grassroots word of mouth Right, marketing is really important at our level, you know.
0: Well, that's the thing I'm realizing. It's not enough just to get on social media and post your ad. You've got to engage.
2: Oh, absolutely. And
0: and I'm working on that. I'm trying to get better with that myself. So uh, and this it's hard. It is. They
2: I've I've read things where they say it's something like what twenty percent is creating the content for your podcast and eighty percent is marketing it, and that's no fun. No, it's not. <laughs> that's not the fun part. But I I am seeing it pay off. I'm seeing it pay off. So I'm excited.
1: Where were you Friday night? I was home all night. Uh Didn't feel too good, so I was here all night.
2: Oh, please. In high school, I used to sneak off to parties all the time and came up with way better excuses than that.
1: Can anybody back up your story? Well, no.
2: Okay, rookie mistake right there. Name someone your parents don't know so they can't call them to verify where you were.
1: Are you actually telling our prime suspect the best way to create a false alibi?
2: He's obviously too stupid to do it for himself. I need an alibi?
0: Packed with jokes and one-liners, riffing on old-time radio shows, it's easy to see why Madison on the Air's unusual premise appeals. But while we laugh, we can learn something about ourselves from what Madison encounters in the past. Maybe Joe Friday's morality is a little too inflexible. But maybe we're too worried about finding a mocha latte. You can listen to Madison on the Air on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for links to the website. The First Episode Of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who express them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.